0: Well, good morning and thanks again for joining us this morning as we continue our series from this second part of Romans. That's the second part of chapter 5 up to chapter 8. So last week we started this section which deals with how to be saved from the controlling influence and power of sin in our lives. The solution is no simple waving of a magic wand over us. The principles which give sin control of our lives go very deep into our personality and into our body and into our soul. And in this part of Romans, we read God's diagnosis of sin in us, and we read of God's therapy, and we see as we go through these chapters that it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Let's read some of the key verses from our passage this morning Paul has has used two everyday illustrations to explain what he's talking about. First of all, he says in Romans uh, 5, sorry, 6 verse 5, he says, we have been united with him, with Christ. So he's talking to Christians and says, when you become a Christian, you become united with Christ. Not simply a friend, as it were, not simply an association, but to understand what it means to be united with Christ, we must go back to the oldest human relationship on the planet, and that is marriage. God's vision for marriage was given in the very beginning to Adam and Eve. He describes it in these terms that the two shall become one flesh, and when Adam first met his new wife, he said of her, she is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So God's vision for marriage, what God knows and designs will happen, is that two people become united and are effectively one person as a team. And that was the very first picture uh, of a relationship. And it's a picture used by Paul in our passage to describe the new relationship that a Christian has with Christ. And for the rest of this morning, do bear in mind just how close that relationship, how permanent the relationship between a Christian and Christ is from the moment a person becomes a Christian. We are inseparably united with Christ. Now, the second illustration that Paul uses is baptism. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. Now, that I don't know if you've ever seen a baptism, perhaps here at the front of the church. There is a, a tank, and the person who's going to be baptized steps down into the water, and they are put down under the water, held down for a short time, and then brought up again. So what is baptism a picture of? It's not a picture of our sins being washed away. Paul says that as many as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. So actually, baptism is a picture of a funeral or a burial, where the body of the person who has supposedly died is lowered into the water. And Paul says, We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death. So baptism is a funeral. But it's the strangest and the happiest funeral you'll ever attend. Because after the funeral, the person comes back up again. It's like a picture of resurrection. Paul says, We were therefore buried by him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So baptism is a picture of two things that happen when we become a Christian. Because Christ died, we leave behind the old person in the grave, under the water. And because Christ rose again, we have become a new person with new life. With Christ's life. So what are the practical implications then of being united with Christ in this picture of baptism of death and burial and resurrection? Well first of all he says since we have been united with Christ and then he draws a number of implications. First when we became united with Christ It means that Christ's future is our future. Everything that God has in store for Christ will be done in union with us. I don't know if you know God's plans for his son, for the ages to come and the worlds to come. Are you not interested, if you're a Christian, in your own future destiny? I would have thought there's a great motivation to discover from scripture all God's plans for his son, because we will be united with him. If Christ is going to come back and rule the earth, we will be with him in that. The second implication is that in one sense, Christ's past is our past. It's as though Paul says, our union with Christ has been backdated Back data to the time Christ entered into death. And he says that when Christ was put to death on the cross, when he was receiving the sentence for the sins of the world, in that sense, we were with Christ, in Christ, and we were sentenced. We bore the sentence in Christ. And that has all been dealt with. This penalty for our sin has been paid. There's no accusation can be levelled at us, because all we need to say is, well, I was in Christ and the penalty, the sentence was carried out, the penalty was paid. Also, when Christ rose from the dead, then we rose with him. And that's the implication of that. Now, there's a very practical point which Paul goes on to make about the significance of this because he says, that we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Some Christians fear that, yes, I'm a Christian now, but if I disobey the Lord, if I fall away and lose interest or fall into sin, that I will lose the new life that I had. But remember, we are eternally linked with Christ. And so since he will never die again, it is impossible for Christians ever to lose their salvation. So in that sense, we can never be lost. It's important to know that we are eternally secure. For another implication, let's just go back to our burial with Christ, uh, which is illustrated in baptism. We were buried therefore with Christ, uh, with him by baptism into death. And he says this, that our old self was crucified with him. What is our old self? Some would say, well, it's the bad bits about us. But if you ever watch someone being baptized, we don't leave the good bits up uh, outside the tank. The whole person goes down into the water. The whole person, that is the old self, the whole person is baptised because the the whole person has to be buried. If you were to ask me what the old self is, it's, it's what we are naturally. Now just think of one or two practical situations. Even the term self reminds us that it's a picture of selfish people. So the old self I'll give you two or three uh, pictures. It's the person who justifies being selfish. No one who does something selfish thinks I am being selfish. They just do it because they think it's right for them and uh, they are the most important person. And they justify, or we justify, doing something that other people see as selfish. That's a sign that it's our old self at work. Another sign is. It's the, the old self is the person who likes to imagine praising other people praising us. Supposing on your social media, you're about to replace your profile picture, you've just got a, a really cool photo, and you imagine everybody liking your picture, you imagine everybody making nice comments about your new picture. Or if you're a teacher, imagine you just prepared the most brilliant and innovative teaching lesson plan And you imagine the kids coming up to you afterwards saying, that was a fantastic lesson. I think you're the best teacher we have. And then it doesn't quite work out. Nobody likes your photos. Somebody makes a sarcastic remark or mocking your photograph on Facebook. Or the kids say, I never understood a word of what you were saying. And it seems to be your your whole world falls round about you. People often react in two ways. One is to rush out and just burst into tears. Other people get angry whenever people do not recognize what they've done, when their dreams are not fulfilled. And that response is another sign that the old self is there. That is what the old self does. The person who gets depressed or angry when things don't work out. So how do we as a Christian, if you're a Christian, how do we handle that, remembering that we are united with Christ? It is a critical moment in our lives, a time when we can step forward or step backward in our Christian growth. We need to recognize that the person who gets depressed when our ego is hurt has no eternal future. That person was crucified when Christ was crucified. Our self, our ego, which we sometimes call it, which loves to be puffed up with praise, that is not the new us. That person, when we die, there will be no trace of it. We need to let it die now, not to try to keep it alive with false hopes, false imaginations, but just to say, that part of me is dying and is dead with all its dreams and its imagined praise. Because in its place, we have a new life. A new life which is not all about us. And if we live in the knowledge that we are united with Christ, the real new us will grow and flourish. We will become more like the Lord Jesus. We will become more transparent, less devious, less image driven. We will become more secure, less fragile, We will be less afraid of what others think of us because we know what God thinks of us because we are united with Christ. God will look after our reputation here and now and will make sure that it stands above anything our old self could engineer and we will become real people. And the final implication then of being united with Christ, he says this is so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin that picture of being enslaved is important so let me just sum up if you like the lessons of our passage by asking you to imagine this scenario suppose as a result of people smuggling a young woman ends up being brought illegally into northern ireland she owes a huge sum to her uh, people smuggling boss and so she is forced to work long and hard hours uh, for a pittance in the hopeless task of, uh, and hope that one day she will be able to set herself free from debt. She's afraid to go to the police because she has no legal standing and she's been told that the law is against her. And she is living like a slave. But in the course of her work, she meets a young man. and They begin to fall in love. Unbeknown to her, this young man has just inherited a large family business. Now, he's a realistic man and he wants to make sure that she's attracted to him personally and not just to his money or to his citizenship. But once he's satisfied, he asks her to marry him and she accepts. And after satisfying all the legal requirements, they get married and she becomes united with him, united with her new husband. He first pays off all her debts. Then, because of her marriage, he ensures that she now has the full legal standing and status as a citizen. She does not have to live her life looking over her shoulder about what the law says. So far, so good. But on her first Monday morning, uh, after her honeymoon, she wakes up. She wakes up early and thinks, it's time to go to work. My boss will kill me if I'm late. Because her old instincts, have been so ingrained into her that they still try to control her. How does she battle those instincts, practically? Well, she does two things. She takes out the legal papers, which talk about the rights that she now has through her new legal relationship with her husband. She checks the receipt for her debts. She used to have no interest in legal or financial things, but now they are crucial to her if she is to break those old instincts of her mind and even of her body. She starts to educate herself in what they mean, because that will help to set her free from her own natural fears and thinking. And the second thing she does when the dread of her old boss comes upon her is to find her husband and say to him, Is there anything I can do for you? Please, give me something to do. I need to learn new instincts. I need to be the new person I now am because of you. And her husband doesn't ask her to start by washing the dishes or cleaning the house. He says, let me show you my business because my business, which I'm running, is now your business. My inheritance is your inheritance. And the girl's new life starts to open up and to expand beyond her wildest dreams. And she throws herself into serving and learning the business and working with all her heart, with a joy, not with a fear. That is the picture that Paul will build on throughout this section of Romans. And the goal, he says, is so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. By being united with Christ, yes, he has paid off all our debts, He has given us a sure legal standing and a right standing before God and before the law. But that was only the start. Now, by being alive in Christ, by being united with Christ, we have a new life, we have a new future, we have a new destiny. To live Christian lives free from our old instincts, free from our imagining of false uh, ego-boosting dreams, we first need to get our Bibles out and become familiar with our legal standing before God. Others might say that's just legalistic and academic terminology, but it's a fine print of scripture which can set us free from our own natural doubts and fears. And secondly, to grow and to know the wonderful freedom from the power of sin, we need to come to Christ and say, is there anything you would like me to do? Just tell me, and I'll learn to work at it, to do it as best I can with all my heart. I need to learn to respond to your word and not to live by my old instincts. And that's the point Paul ends our passage with. In verse 13, he writes about how to sever the link with our old boss of sin and the law. And let me just finish by leaving you with his words. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Let's just close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not merely delivered us from the fear and penalty and punishment for our sin, but you've gone far more, you've done far more than that. We thank you that You are working to prepare us for a future destiny, which we will share with your son, a destiny of dignity, of ruling, of managing. We acknowledge we need to be saved in our hearts and in our psychologically, mentally, and even physically from all the old forces. But we thank you that we have the Lord Jesus with us every day, working with us to do that. So we give you thanks for your word. We pray we might respond to it in Jesus' name. Amen.